politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew our revolution, our challenges of our time. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here today at CR Podcast. It is Thursday, September 15th, and always a good day to fight for life and liberty. And, you know, unlike the first fight for our liberty and independence well over 200 years ago, we don't need to pledge our lives, our fortunes, sacred honor to fight. I mean, it will cost some money. You just have to have the political will. My reason for being on the air, my reason for doing this is not so much because I think necessarily we'll succeed, although if others were doing it, we could easily succeed. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. But it's because I feel like we have to lay down the marker at any given time. What matters? In what way does it matter? What could we do about it? What should we be doing it? How easily we could be doing it? But unfortunately, why it's not being done and the consequences of that thereof. And I want to show today the gap between what could be and what is being done because of this phony Republican Party and phony conservative movement. A lot of people are talking about DeSantis uh, sending away you know, two planes full of legal aliens to Martha's Vineyard. And I know in the past I've criticized such moves that absent state deportations is more of a gimmick. But I will say that the difference is that DeSantis himself said on this very program last December that he'd be willing to work with other governors to set up state reciprocity to work together for states to start deporting people. It's just he literally has not a single other governor to work with, including the one who should be spearheading this in Texas, uh, Greg Abbott. Instead, Greg Abbott is only doing the busing. So DeSantis is doing it too. But I want to note something very, very important that I think a lot of people are missing from what went on and how powerful it is and what could be done in even more of a significant way if we only had the political will of a few more governors to join in, and certainly if we had a full political party and movement focused on what matters, having the political will to implement it and see it through with a continuity of observations, continuity of strategy, there is so much we could be doing. The other side is so overexposed in terms of their radicalism and not facing a legitimate opposition for way too long in that if we actually just called them out and exposed the radicalism of what they're doing that really matters, not the soap opera stuff that conservative talk radio focuses on, we could crush them like a bug. So in that sense, I'm very optimistic. I'm not optimistic that they're going to do it, but I just want you to know it doesn't have to be this way. So first, our sponsor today, you know, we're rapidly approaching a time where getting a hold of healthy, quality protein is just as important as it was to get a hold of hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin during the pandemic. Um, 60% of U.S. pork production comes from one company owned by the Chinese. Uh, increasingly, it's expensive. Increasingly, you can't even get a hold of it. And then when you can, let's face it, it's full of antibiotics. It's full of additives. It's full of inflammatory crap. Um, that's why I recommend Moinkbox. 
Go to moinkbox.com slash conservative to sign up for your monthly boxes of the best-tasting, grass-fed, grass-finished, natural beef, lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and sustainable wild-caught salmon. They have the best-tasting Alaskan salmon you'll ever get delivered straight to your door from an American fifth-generation farmer. Doesn't get better than that. And when you sign up at moinkbox.com slash conservative, our listeners get free filet mignon for one year. That's your best tasting filet mignon for one year, limited time offer. So get moinked like I did and join Moinkbox. Again, you could choose, if you go online, you could choose the different uh, packages from ribeyes to chicken breasts, pork chops, uh, salmon filets. Um, I actually love their salmon fillets, but it's all healthy protein, tastes good, good on your body, and you're supporting American farming, uh, not the cartel farming. So this is our way of making an end round around the food cartel, just like we do with medical freedom. So go to M-O-I-N-K box.com slash conservative. That's moinkbox.com slash conservative. So the thing everyone's missing about DeSantis is that if I would have asked you two years ago, I would have said, hey, states need to start just grabbing illegals and shipping them around. You'd be like, there's no way you can get around, get away with that, Daniel. Oh, you know, the feds have full control over that. That's not a state authority. And you know what? On some level, they're right. I mean, barring the invasion clause, which I think legitimately can and should be invoked, generally speaking, yeah, a state would not have the authority to do that. But so what? DeSantis did it anyway. Why? Because the issue is grave. The consequences are severe. The public sees how unfair it is that the federal government is inviting in an invasion and they support it. In other words, it's all about the political will to act. You just do it. If you would sit and debate, you know, I'm about to do it and we're going to do this, the left will mobilize against you. Here, he just did it. And what I'm telling you is by the same token, if all the states would get together and say, you know, give a press conference, talk about the cost, the crime, the the sex trafficking, and what the government's doing, the public will be on your side and remove them. Just do it. This is my broader point, that if we actually focused on gubernatorial elections, and we actually elected more people like DeSantis, there is so much you can do at a state level to neuter the federal government. And we are going to have on coming up today one of our only opportunities this cycle to elect another DeSantis, as Doug Mastriano in Pennsylvania will be joining us soon. But I want to follow up on this point on why states declaring sanctuaries, states going after the enemy, naming the enemy, and shielding themselves from the enemy, whether it's the WHO and, and saying we're going to nullify any foreign Help public health treaty, whether it's the FBI, IRS, CDC. And the more states you have doing it, the more counties you have doing it, the more it will neuter the federal government, the more it will drive the narrative and focus people's attention on the issues. See, if you notice what the left wants to do is they want to gradually implement their agenda but not really talk about it. We should do the same thing. Implement our agenda and not, you know, do what Trump did, which is, you know, threaten it for a year and then not do it. You pull the trigger before you even talk about it. Speaking of Florida, let me tell you an example of what needs to be done. 
This is from FloridaPolitics.com. Lee County Republicans officially branded international health and economic groups as national security threats and demanded Florida restrict the IRS and FBI. At a special meeting of the Lee County Republican Executive Committee, members passed a series of resolutions related to hot-button issues. That included unanimous passage of a resolution that criticized Dominion and ESANS voting machines and called for Florida to only allow paper ballots. Supporters of former President Trump claim yada yada, you know, they go through that. Um, So they say, let's ban Dominion, have only paper ballots. It also calls on Governor DeSantis to use executive authority to prohibit the use of any electronic voting machines in the state. Um, they further proposed a resolution that would declare the World Economic Forum and the WHO as terrorist organizations and national security threat. Um, and then the final resolution passed said that any action by or- the organizations within the United States must be treated as a treaty and subject to a two-thirds vote of the U.S. Senate to take effect. And they also called on a special session. They called for a special session of the legislature to ban the IRS and the FBI from the state. Now, again, even if you don't want to go that far and just put more limitations on, but this is where we should be thinking. Kudos to this one county executive Republican committee. I know it doesn't mean much, but broadly speaking, this is what a party that actually shared our values would do. You would convene all of the state legislatures that you control, and you would immediately address all of the hot-button issues, give your rationale, and do it. Say, in this state, WHO, WEF have no home. IRS, FBI have no home. CDC has no home. Here's what we're doing to protect rights. Here's what we're doing to criminalize cooperation with these entities. Here's what we're doing to empower the people and protect them from the biomedical state, from transhumanism, from the FBI and IRS targeting of First Amendment rights. But instead, we hear everything but that. And by the way, I just want to mention that that this focus on the WEF is very important. Most Republicans won't touch it. It's the same straw man enemies like, oh, Nancy Pelosi, no, no, no. This from News Punch, WEF orders journalists to cease and desist exposing secret globalist agenda. It's kind of bizarre because they speak about it openly, but they're used to themselves speaking about it openly, but us not informing people of it. People don't know about it. The World Economic Forum has instructed mainstream media outlets and journalists to cease and desist exposing their agenda and instead focus on more important issues such as climate change and online misinformation. Adrian Monk, managing director of the WEF, slammed politicians who questioned the globalist body's policy proposals, particularly in Canada, where a national bid has been raging about the WEF's increasing control over the world. Um, so they are actually getting very thin-skinned over us calling them out by name, their agenda out by name. Imagine if we had an entire movement and party focused on this. They will tell you what they fear. They don't fear the fake right. They don't fear Fox News. They don't fear the Republican Party and the equivalents in these other countries. They fear people like you and me that are onto their agenda, are willing to call it out, and more importantly, are willing to actually use the power we still have To neuter them. Because I'm just telling you, if you would suddenly have half the states of this country 
say, we're going to have parallel economies. We're going to apply anti-discrimination law evenly on the so-called you know, private big conglomerates propped up by the government. We're going to respect constitutional rights. We're actually going to criminalize violations of them. You'd be surprised how quickly the tide will turn. They only, a lot of the corporations, I mean, some of them are evil. A lot of them only go in that direction because they know this is where it's at. And in order to operate, this is what you need to push and believe in. We could change that overnight. Again, their support is a mile wide and inch deep. It only looks like it's an intractable juggernaut because we don't even get on the field. So they win by acclamation. They, they appear stronger than they are. If you poke the bear a little bit, there's nothing behind it. It's a bunch of flab, no muscle. So to me, that is the lesson. The lesson of what potentially red state governors and legislatures could actually accomplish if they really wanted to. Now, one way you could fight back against the cartel is by not allowing big tech to actually spy on you. I'm, I'm going to shame you right now. If you don't have at least some sort of VPN on your devices, you're stupid because you are allowing big tech working with the government to control all of your email, monitor your email, your searches, your, your, your use of the internet obtain your personal data and sell it and make money and pay for the rope to hang you with your own money. Think of how much life you, you spend on the internet, for better or for worse. Every site you visit, video you watch, message you send, it's kind of like the old police song from the 80s. We'll be watching you, right? When you run ExpressVPN on your device, it's a mask on your computer, except it actually works. Unlike the Chinese face diapers, it makes your... Uh, um, IP address completely anonymous. Um, that's why I trust ExpressVPN. It is much harder for them to trace and sell your info to advertisers. It encrypts 100% your internet data, keeps you safe from hackers, eavesdroppers, including, most importantly, the government. So stop handing over your personal data to big tech and their monopoly. Do what I did last year. Protect yourself with a VPN I trust. Visit expressvpn.com slash conservative. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash conservative to get an extra three months free with our special URL. And again, that is expressvpn.com slash conservative. Stop paying for the rope to hang yourselves. So before we get to Doug here, um, just wanted to veer off to some some COVID news that I think is really, really, really important. Just because we're talking about the gap between what could be done but what is done. Imagine if we had endless hearings on the death and destruction from the shots, from Remdesivir, from Paxlovid, juxtaposed to all the things, that all the information, the studies we now have coming out on nasal irrigation and ivermectin. I don't even have time to get to everything. But instead, yesterday, there was a hearing of the Senate Health Committee, and the ranking Republican member was Richard Burr. And you listen to him. You know, Fauci testified. It was mainly about monkeypox, but obviously COVID came up. And you listen to Burr, and the upshot of what he and other Republicans, except for Rand Paul, uh, expressed throughout the hearing is not that they're bothered by the biomedical fascist state, that they're bothered by the fact that it didn't run efficiently enough, and they want to make it run more efficiently. That, in a nutshell, is what conservatism is about in this day and age. He was incensed that there was a coordinated attack. Um, you know, that there wasn't a coordinated attack 
to, to, to fund the pandemic fascism. And he actually went through all the billions of dollars that Republicans uh, funded, you know, because Democrats were like, you're not funding COVID fascism and love. Like, no, we funded this and this and that. Rather than saying, dude, we helped Pfizer kill millions of people. No, nothing. And then he literally thanked Fauci for his years of service and says that he's been beneficial to public health. This is the lead Republican on the committee. I hate to see you go. That was Richard Burr of North Carolina's parting words to Fauci. And then he was ripping the public health officials for holding back vaccines for 1.9 million people with AIDS. In other words, he believes every homo and everyone with AIDS should get the, the, um, the homopox shot, even though, as we've learned, that shot is extremely dangerous, likely is negatively effective, could possibly spread. I mean, th- th- this is what Republicans are. They want to take everything the left is doing and do it even better, more efficiently. Have the Fourth Reich more technocratic than it already is. And by the way, at the hearing, Fauci said, this is a quote, the assumption that it, meaning monkeypox, will remain restricted to a particular segment of our society is truly an assumption without a scientific basis. Now, some might say that he is kind of, you know, de- trying to defend his constituency, the, the rainbow alphabet soup. But he might not be wrong. Because who's to say the monkeypox vaccine isn't doing what the COVID shots are and creating viral immune escape and making this more transmissible in that it eventually will affect the general population? I hope not. But that j- just definitely something to keep in mind there. But we now have... excess death year to date in 2022 when almost nobody is legitimately dying of COVID anymore. Why? Well, Republicans have no interest in getting to the bottom of that. I want to share with you a story today on, on just how evil it is what's going on. So one of the most evil human rights violations of the Fourth Reich is that they denied transplants, whether it's tissue transplants, solid organ transplants, to people for not getting the shot. A shot that they already knew even in the healthy population caused thousands of maladies, the VAERS, over a thousand studies, the myocarditis, the the inflammation, the spike, the lipid nanoparticles. And yet they mandated it on a population of immunocompromised people that A, they knew the shots never worked for, and B, it would be an even greater liability for them. So they're now passing down spike. First of all, you have to have the spike to get it. If you don't, you have to die. And then, really, it should be the opposite. You should be, meaning, donors shouldn't be able to get it, meaning you shouldn't be able to donate if you got it because you're literally donating the spike protein and moreover, I'm not saying I necessarily believe in this, but if you believe in this kind of notion of uh, organs are scarce and we're not going to donate it to people we think are going to waste it, and they, they're saying if you're unvaccinated, you're for sure going to die of COVID somehow, and, and therefore it's a waste. Well, I would say that should be applied to people who got it. 
if you believe in those sorts of bioethics, um, because you definitely will waste it because your body will reject it. New study out by Japanese researchers published in the Journal of Clinical Medicine that notes very strong evidence, 23 eyes from 21 patients who had undergone corneal graft procedures. So basically it's not a solid organ, but but like the corneal tissue, the um, these ocular surgeries where you know people have trouble seeing and they get corneal transplants. There were 23 rejects, rejections right after they um, they received it. They, they received the, the COVID shots. Ranged from within a day to six weeks. Now, we're talking about people that had these corneal transplants years ago. So one case, it was 20 years prior. So, you know, assuming your body, your immune system didn't reject it, didn't attack it, by now, you know, it wouldn't do it. So imagine, you know, you get a corneal transplant 20 years ago, boom, boom, okay, you're living fine. And then suddenly, within days or weeks after the COVID shots, your body then rejects it. That's what they found. Earth-shattering study. Now, you would expect in a sane society, you would track down those corneal tissues and test them to see if they have spike protein or other, you know, sort of tissue proteins um, with expression markers that shouldn't be there. But no. They don't want to follow up with this. Everything they say, the opposite is true. The truth be told, everyone, I mean, I don't know this science so well, but I think on a basic level we all understand that it's mainly your immune system that produces these, these killer cells, so they patrol for foreign material. They don't like foreign matter. Um, so the problem is when sometimes you need to get things into the body, you need to do a transplant, and it, it's, it's always a big concern that um, your immune system is going to work too properly in that case you know and it's gonna it's gonna attack it right the killer cells are gonna go after it so it's a very interesting thing as they note in the study rejection of corneal tissue is very rare it 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 rarely happens Whereas with solid organs, it's more common. It's more of a concern. So when you start seeing that many case studies that they rounded up, that they you know collated in this uh, observational study, that is very concerning. And obviously, once I heard ocular, the first call I made after I saw this study, I sent it to Dr. Urso, Dr. Richard Urso, is an ocular specialist among many, many other specialties. He has cancer and sports medicine, and he's just—he's a scientist all around, not just a doctor. He studied tissue samples for in labs for ten years, and I'm just going to try to give over as best as I can what he told me. Something very, very interesting that is not just in the weeds on this one thing, but sheds light into the danger of the shots and what's causing it. So he noted that he said. The ocular cavity and that whole part of the brain is extremely hard to get to. You have the blood-brain barrier, but you have other things as well. It's one of those parts of the body that you don't usually see, you know, viruses cause post-viral syndrome problems. Very, very rare. 
So because your immune system, whether it's firing correctly or it's inflammation triggering a misfire, it gets into certain parts of the body, but other parts of the body are walled off. It's it, it, What he described it as tight junctions is the word he kept using. It can't get there. The fact that you're suddenly seeing rejection probably because you have these inflammatory immune responses getting in there, he's told me that that has the lipid nanoparticles written all over it. Again, let, let's go through the basics here. And it's not just this. With this, with this explanation, uh, Dr. Urso explained why the shots are causing so many problems and why, in general, it's much worse than the pathogen and much more comprehensive than the pathogen. Again, I have no reason to try to downplay COVID. COVID was created by the same people as the shots were. They're both bioweapons. But the difference between naturally getting a pathogen, even an unnatural pathogen that's juiced up and designed to kill you, versus injecting it through your body to have the mRNA express an unlimited amount of spikes and the lipid nanoparticles um, you know, just traveling around the body – so he said like this, at the end of the day, the spike protein is very dangerous. But at the end of the day, there's a limited amount of areas where it could, it could enter because it needs this special lifeboat to get it into those nooks and crannies, those tight junctions, and typically it can't fit. Typically it can't fit. But the reason why you're seeing so many more ocular problems, so many more heart problems through the spike protein of the vaccine than the spike protein of the pathogen is because of the lipid nanoparticles. Okay? Myocarditis. We know that the spike protein causes myocarditis. And they want to say, oh, no, 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 it's this, you're at risk for myocarditis from, from the virus. The problem is the Israelis did a study and found no indication that that's happening. There are people that get into cardiac arrest and their heart fails, but that's immediately through severe COVID after a few weeks. You don't find people, you know, six months later, just suddenly develop myocarditis and drop out of nowhere. You don't, you don't find that. You find that from the shot. Why? He explained like this, that... So again, the the ACE the not the ACE two the the spike protein latches on most prominently to ACE two receptors. So there's a lot of parts of the body that have many ACE two receptors. The lungs are one of them, and that's a big problem. And that's why COVID's a big problem to the lungs, at least the original version of it before Omicron. But then you have the brain, the eyes, and the heart that have very tight junctions. On the one hand, there's a lot of ACE2. He told me the pericytes around the eye, he would know this, have a lot of ACE2. So they are very problematic. But on the other hand, the sp so if the spike could get there, the spike would be a big problem. But the spike can't get there because of all the barriers and the tight junctions. In comes the sh shots with the um, the... It's a two-step process. The lipid nanoparticles are the specialized boats that can fit it through those tight junctions, whether it's those ocular junctions or the pericytes there or whether it's the pericytes on the endothelium in the heart. It's too tight to naturally get there. To naturally get there. The LNPs gradually slip them in. Gradually slip them in. Then... 
So you're slipping in the mRNA. The mRNA, as we well know now, could potentially continue to code your body to produce the spike, just like you're a piece of software, indefinitely. So it's a viral load issue. You know, A, the natural infection, A, is it's, it's finite. You know, you're not constantly coding your body to produce it, okay? However amount, eventually you're going to clear it. And B, you don't have the lipid nanoparticles to get it to certain places that it can't get to. That's why you don't see much myocarditis from the shot. From, from, from natural infection, but from the shot you do because it has the ability to get there in an unlimited amount of spiking. Some people, you know, maybe it will be gradual. And this is where you're going to see this long-term thing where people could potentially drop dead a year later because it gradually, you know, it's a tight junction. It doesn't come in all at once, but it could get in there. And over time, it builds up. Maybe some people, they stop producing the spike. Other people, they could produce it indefinitely. We don't know the scope of that yet, because no one wants to really study it, but potentially, and some people, clearly, it does last for a long time. Those are That's your sudden death syndrome right there for you. And he also used this just to explain why um, the, the LNPs allow the spike to get into endothelium. He said, when you exercise, it, it actually loosens up those junctions. So again, that's why the elite athletes will get it worse because it's all a matter of there's blockades in your body. Exercise loosens it. So you have the exercise and then the LNPs get in there, you're screwed. And that's why the vaccinated um, active people are the most on the chopping block rather than the inactive people and then people that didn't get the shots but only got COVID. COVID caused a lot of other things. But not, but certain parts of the body. So to, to come full circle, when you start seeing rejections where the immune system inflammatory markers are getting into that, the pericytes and the ocular cavity, he's like, I know exactly what's going on there. The LMPs get it in there, and once it's in there, you have a ton of ACE2 receptors for the spike protein to have a heyday on in those pericytes around the eye socket and, and the cornea and, and, and areas like that. So brilliant, brilliant analysis brought to you from Dr. Urso. And again, imagine if we had hearings on this, brought people down like that. It would be so convincing. It doesn't have to be this way. But of course, Republicans are going to make it this way. So as I mentioned before, the best way to use that political will, which has been sidelined for so long, is through the governors. Okay, that is the single most impactful position. You get the governor, you get the state. You get a Senate seat, you get nothing for it. And yet, my colleagues just bizarrely won't stop focusing on the federal soap opera. Never about right now with the power you have with these trifecta controls, Republicans control more than half the state legislative bodies. What are you going to do to interpose against the federal tyranny with the IRS and the FBI targeting political opponents? What are you going to do to make elections secure? What are you going to do to push back against the biomedical tyranny? What are you going to do to secure the food and fuel supply chains from this controlled demolition of the Great Reset? Okay, what are you going to do about energy independence. You can't let your people starve. This problem is not limited to California. As we talked about yesterday, Texas uh, has a big problem with their grid. What are they doing about it? 
it all gets back to governors. And I thought once we'd have the Florida governor emerge as a champion for this, people would, the wheels would start churning in their brain like, oh, okay, well, that matters. What if we had 20 of those? I'm not even getting to more swing states like Pennsylvania, but at least in the reliably red presidential states, you know, why can't we have that? And we had a bunch of open seats, and honestly, we squandered it. And one after another, we kind of elected the status quo. I only see two opportunities to replicate what we have in Florida. Uh, one of them we're having on tomorrow. We're going to have Carrie Lake on. We've, you know, for the first time in the general, we've had her on the primary lot. But the other one we've never had on, and I admit it is my fault for delaying so long. And a lot of you have been like, where is Doug Mastriano? Well, he is with us today in the flesh. Doug, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, my friend. And you're exactly right. The, the governors have more of an ability to, to shape uh, their individual states. And, and therefore, I also agree, especially in the case of Pennsylvania as an energy producer of the nation, more so than a federal senator. Yes, the senators are important, but governors, as we saw during the shutdown in 2020, can have a lot more power to wield for good or for evil. So I actually wanted to start with that. Let's let's start with energy. Um, you know, one of the things we never had to think about, typically the states and the feds work together in their own respective spheres. We never thought we'd be living through a time where our own federal government is no longer a force for good and is, in fact, going after each one of the fundamental rights and is going after every vital good and service. I mean, so it started with medical care. Uh, we have this pandemic, which is kind of interesting where it came from, and they refused to allow people to get treatment. And we needed state governors and legislatures to step up and make this available to people and get around this this federal blockade, and most of them didn't do it. And then shortly after, we had the food and fuel problem, which we all know is a big, big problem. And yes, typically it involves a lot of interstate commerce, but do you believe that at a time when the federal government is literally arsoning our ability to live freely, they're arsoning our um, fuel sources and, and locking up our God-given resources and doing everything they can regulatory-wise to ensure that we cannot get the proper supply, whether it's the pipelines, whether it's the transportation of the oil and gas, the exploration for it, the extraction of it, um, the financing for it. What do you feel you can do as a governor to maybe work with other governors and say, hey, look, we can't allow the people to freeze and starve. We're going to take take this in our own hands and get our energy moving. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people in America don't realize that Pennsylvania is the third greatest energy producer in the United States of America. And we're blessed with amazing natural gas, coal, um, or even oil, high-grade oil. I mean, it's amazing. I was actually in the Northwest uh, pumping oil, uh, some oil out of the ground on a small rig. I visited a natural gas facility uh, just a couple weeks ago down in the southwest part of the state. So to answer your question, there's a lot of good a governor can do. I mean, we saw the shutdown. We saw the power wielded by Tom Wolf and Cuomo and Newsom in their respective states. Uh, then we also saw you know, people like in Texas or, of course, DeSantis in Florida and you know, Florida is, is really a shining example of, of, of the good a governor can do if you have a, you know, a determined conservative uh, in power. 
Uh, he's delivering on what he promised Ron DeSantis, and the, and the people of, of that state here are, you know, re- rewarding him. He's way ahead. The state has become decidedly red now. It's no longer a purple state, I'd say. Pennsylvania, likewise, has its opportunity. I, it was a thrill to host Ron DeSantis in Pittsburgh last month, campaigning for me. And, you know, my goal and objective is to make Pennsylvania the Florida of the North. But we have a bit more than Florida in that there's natural resources that are under our feet. So I see I'm a senator. I actually have legislation that delineates uh, how we're going to make Pennsylvania energy independent. And I'm going to implement those features with the General Assembly as governor. Uh, on day one, I'm going to get us out of this uh, this carbon tax initiative that Governor Wolf has put us into illegally, I believe. It's called the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative. And that is already, even though there's a big court battle over the legality of that, uh, that already increased our energy prices across the state on the 1st of June by 40%. And that's not even adding in by inflation. And so people are having a hard time, you know, keeping their houses cool now. And it's going to be far worse in the wintertime keeping them uh, warm. And we're an energy producer. And so on day one, 17 January, when I'm sworn in, I'll be signing an executive order into effect that we're no longer part of the regional greenhouse gas initiative. And within a few weeks, there should be a ripple effect where you see energy prices go down, you know, within our state borders. Uh, on day one, I'm opening up our state lands for energy development. And, uh, and don't buy the left argument. I know you don't, but the, the listeners out there, you can do both develop the energy sector and not pollute, you know, pollute or poison your land. Uh, our, our people uh, in the energy sector have gone to great lengths to protect the, the environment. Uh, we want trout in our streams. We don't want poisonous, cancerous toxins in the environment. And so we're going to open up state lands. We're going to speed up the permitting process. And sadly, we have departments in Pennsylvania that take sometimes two or three years to approve permits in the energy sector or for development of, of our industry. And uh, we're going to speed that up to hopefully just a, a month or two in length where, you know, they have to have answers and results and people able to open up to energy sector. Uh, we're going to roll back with many of the eight years of regulations that our Democrat governors put in place on the energy sector. And what's the so what for people across the nation now listening? My goal is to make Pennsylvania number one in energy development, which means you know we, we have some stiff competition with Texas and Alaska. When we do that, and that we achieve the number one status or more competitive in our development energy, that will drive down prices not only in Pennsylvania for energy costs and all costs for that matter, because everything's attached to energy. Uh, that will help it across the nation. We'll be less reliant upon foreign ex- uh, imports. Uh, my goal, of course, is to become a net exporter of energy, providing for our people first, and then, of course, developing a liquefied natural gas terminal off of uh, Philly in the Delaware River, and hopefully one off, as well off of Erie and we can start exporting. The reason why I want to do that, in 2018, we had a, a bad cold snap up here in, in the Mid-Atlantic and the Northeast. It was really bad. And sadly, Boston was running out of energy. And instead of buying it off of Pennsylvania because of ridiculous failed energy policies, they actually brought in two ships from Siberia 4,000 miles away. I mean, are you kidding me? Enriching Vladimir Putin, that kind of madness has to end. So... That's something you feel you can do, at least, you know, with the resources that God has given Pennsylvania. Um, But obviously, they're thinking of everything. They're not just going after the resources. They're going after the people. And they're going after the people in several ways. They're going after our lives and health, literally, with these with this biomedical uh, tyrannical state where they are coming up with all these technologies whether they're mandating them in some cases or strongly, strongly funding, promoting them, start with COVID fascism. Right now, 
I only see one state where the Department of Health is actually following the Nuremberg Code and science and saying, whoa, 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 wait. These shots, we've seen a lot. We They're no longer new anymore. Okay, they've been around for a year and a half. There's a lot of problems here. We recommend against continuing them, these boosters, certainly on children. And we really need to start investigating this. We need to start serving as a backstop, a safety net for the public against the feds, which are now, you know, the cops became the robbers. Um, no other Department of Health is doing this. You go to the Department of Health of Texas, Oklahoma, Tennessee, this may as well be California. Um, they are literally stuck on the same disproven paradigm Um what sort of measures are you going to put in place to make sure this could never happen again and to prepare for the future? Because it's not over with with what the feds are doing on the biomedical uh, front. Yeah, so, you know, people uh, you know outside of Pennsylvania kind of wonder, you know, where I came from here. So I retired from the Army in late 2017 after 30 years of active service and I was complaining about the condition of my country after 30 years of service. And uh, I was challenged by a young man instead of complaining about it and riding off to the sunset like most Army colonels do with a sweet job, you know, and lots of travel, blah, 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 to do something about it. So that was my genesis into running for office. Uh, then the shutdown happened. And we were first hit by, of course, the, the, the not constitutional shutdown of businesses. And we started doing reopen rallies and what have you. And, and then after that came medical tyranny with, with the masking and with the, you know, lose your job if you don't get a jab kind of thing. Uh, and actually, so on day one of my administration, on 17 January, any um, COVID jab for job requirements will end forever in Pennsylvania. Any masking requirements will end forever in Pennsylvania. And w- indeed, it will be your body, your choice. You, know, you have medical sovereignty over your body and uh, you will not be compelled to get a, that, that jab in order to keep your job. Uh, for those who work for the governor and in Pennsylvania, we have 80,000 people that work for the governor. If you lost your job as a Pennsylvania State Police or a guards, uh, National Guard or Air Guard or one of the bureaucracies that works for the governor, you'll be offered that job back. Uh, in the end, uh, so I actually have legislation that was vetoed by the governor or, or not run at all. I'll be signing it to law with the uh, Republican-led General Assembly, a medical freedom bill, which will codify into law. So I'll have executive orders that I'll kick off everything with, but then we'll codify into law that you have complete sovereignty over your, over your body. And uh, this will never happen again. And, uh, you know, obviously politics is a team sport, so we need to reelect the Republican General Assembly so we can codify my actions into law. So after... My eight years of governor, we don't revert back to medical tyranny. Uh, I, like you, uh, am appalled by, you know, so many uh, folks across the state here seem to have no problem imposing their will on other people and bullying people, whether it was, uh, you know, a mask or a jab and the oppression that came with that. And so that that ends on day one as well with my administration as governor. I'm just curious if you're aware of your colleague, you're in the Senate, um, your colleague in the House, Russ Diamond, has a constitutional amendment uh, to the state's constitution to basically codify um, bodily autonomy in the sense that you can never be forced to to wear or inject a medical device or product and cannot be discriminated, discriminated against in the realm of public accommodation. Have you seen that, and is that something you'd be interested in, in amending the constitution as a long-term, uh, let's say, immunization against this? Yeah, I mean, yeah, of course, I'm aware of his his uh, his bill there, and uh, the medical freedom bill that I sponsored, Senate Bill 471, actually has more teeth to it, and uh, that that's the one I hope that we can run mm. across the line. 
Obviously, I'll be governor then. Uh, we reset every two years, so another senator or rep will have to take that up. Uh, there's an, actually a, a mirror version in the House by another colleague. So either way, we're going to codify into law. Yeah, I mean, because what I'm concerned about with Republicans is that a lot of them are saying, oh, it's done with, and it's not. I mean, first of all, the military mandate's there, the healthcare mandate's there. Um, the, the, the departments of health are still promoting every one of these failed things. And, and again, at some point, saying I oppose mandates is not good enough. That was okay a year and a half ago. But now after everything we know about these shots, I mean, no one forces you to get an abortion, but we still oppose it because we believe you're taking a human life. So, I mean, similarly here, even if they're not forcing the shots, but they're marketing it, funding them, distributing them, the Florida Department of Health has said, look, we're done with this. Um, All other 49, to my knowledge, are still gung-ho pushing it, pressuring people as if we've learned nothing from the over 1,200 peer-reviewed studies on all sorts of injuries and, and problems with this. What is your plan to drain the swamp? And what I mean by that is, and I think this is an important discussion for our listeners, there's a whole number of governors that might be considered second tier after DeSantis because rhetorically they kind of sound conservative. But privately, I know I have friends in the legislative bodies you know, they're shills for big business, they're shills for big pharma, for the system, you know, whatever that system might be. And the proof's in the pudding because they might say one thing, but their Department of Health is doing quite another thing. So how are you going to, obviously you'd replace Tom Wolf. that's night and day from day one, but the entire culture of the Department of Health is oriented towards pharma not the people. How do you reshape that? Well, I mean, it's actually pretty easy. Uh, it's it's not that hard. I'll be the executive of, of the government of Pennsylvania, and the people will hire me to do that job. And uh, I know who the medical freedom folks are. So first off, obviously, my leadership in delineating with first with executive orders and then following up with, with law from the General Assembly. And I'm going to move hard and fast on, on day one with executive orders, but we need to codify those into law constitutionally. That's my view. Uh, part two, of course, is then having people that work for me in all the departments that reflect my values and views. And medical freedom is, is uh, you know, one of the top ones, obviously. I, I do have in mind several people, you know, for the possibility of being the Secretary of Health. Uh, we think about the catastrophe of our previous Secretary of Health in Pennsylvania, Dr. Levine. You know, <laughs> Dr. Levine coming in and lecturing us about following the science. Uh, I, you know, I thought that was a great idea. Let's, let's start with, uh, you know, Dr. Levine, you know, personally. Uh, when Levine... Uh, was the first secretary of health in the nation to send the sick out of the hospitals, the COVID positives out of the hospitals back into the homes before New York did that. Proportionally, I do believe we have the highest death rate among the elderly population as the fifth most populous state. I think we're number one, though, in death because of this policy. Uh, Levine realized that was a bad idea a few weeks on, and uh, Levine's own mom was in a home, an elder care facility. And uh, smuggled mom out, put mom in a hotel suite with, you know, 24-7 care away from the virus that was spreading into that home and suffered no ramifications or consequences. Uh, Levine is, 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 is personifies radical far-left policies where they lecture us, they oppress us, but they operate outside the rules. Instead of being a decent secretary of health you know, and, and telling Pennsylvania that was a bad idea to send the sick back in a home, you know, denying 150 years of germ theory uh, developed by Louis Pasteur in the 1870s, 
you know, and having this double standard. And uh, many, many elderly left to die alone without contact with their family for 400 days. I mean, it's heartbreaking. So number one is, is setting a new culture uh, in Harrisburg with my leadership focused on medical freedom. Uh, number two is having a secretary of health that is a champion of medical freedom. Um, if, for those who've been tracking Pennsylvania politics, you know, I've been on the, the steps of the Capitol and, and many uh, press conferences and hearings with medical freedom champions. You know who they are in Pennsylvania. You'll see them yep. working in the department. They're shaking that up. Yep, and we know some of them in the legislature. And, and, and it's a shame. I mean, it's just north of me, just north of where I live in Maryland. I would love a um, colder weather version of Florida close by to move <laughs> to. And I think people need that option. Um, I don't like the hot weather and the alligators, but it's a shame because most of the state, the people aren't like that. But it's, you know, you guys had had a, you know, maybe even a worse lockdown than we did in Maryland. Um, but but continuing on this theme, every Republican in the abstract is like, yeah, it was kind of stupid what we did. But at its core, what I've identified the problem in the Republican Party, it's not so much rhino or moderate or liberal. It's not an ideological thing. We're now living <laughs> in a world where there's a system, right? And you know this. It's a system. And we could study how it became that way, but the bottom line is through so many decades of not having a free market, particularly in healthcare, by the way, it created this artificial cartel, this artificial monopoly that works together with government, often is one with government, often is literally propped up by government. And so what they do, in the, especially in the United States, is very interesting. They don't often promulgate directly from the government. They'll get the so-called private sector to adopt their immoral, inhumane ideals that violate human rights. And and then the Republicans turn around like, oh, I, we love ourselves some business. We can't tell them what to do. I want to get your broader your broader philosophy on this because there was actually a case in York, I believe it was York, of a woman. And, and it, I can't get this out of my mind because this has happened so many places. She was a victim of trauma. Um, there's an Epic Times article on it where, uh, you know, when she was a kid, it wasn't a rape case, but it was kind of similar. They stuffed things down her mouth so she couldn't put anything over her face. And she, she now she has a lot of health con- conditions as she turned older, uh, diabetes, uh, renal failure, things like that. She needs to see doctors. I mean, I avoid them, but she doesn't have the luxury of doing that. A lot of people don't have the luxury of doing that. They can't go anywhere without having to wear that, that thing that is just so immoral, in, inhumane. It, it doesn't work. It has negative efficacy. It has health concerns. And we govern every aspect of ADA, of discrimination. I mean, yeah. you know, the, the, in other words, the slate is not clean on, oh, you could do what you want. Or hospitals, believe me, they can't do what they want, but they could deny you ivermectin even at your own cost. You had a lot of cases like that in, 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 uh, in, uh, um, in Pennsylvania. And this reverberates beyond medicine. It's ESG. It's all of this stuff where they are literally – the government now has a way of, without having their fingerprints directly on it, they could ensure that people like you and me have no food, fuel, medicine, human rights, First Amendment rights. How are you going to deal with that? Because this is the game how I, I'm watching these other Republican governors, and you know what I'm talking about. All my friends in the legislatures would tell me the governor's men would sit down there, we are not going after businesses. In fact, I know a certain governor that called Ron DeSantis a communist. I won't name who he is. Um, 
I, I know Christy Nome in South Dakota was very passionate about that. They're like, look, I don't believe in lockdowns and masks, but you know, you can't tell businesses what to do. Where do you stand on that? Well, you know, we have a free market here. Now, there's several issues, and there's a lot that, that you cover there. You know, sure. first off, I'm appalled by how politicized medicine became in 2020, especially. I was appalled that, that you know, treatments were denied people uh, when they asked for them, you know, and whether it's, you know, ivermectin or, or other treatments, that, that there was a, a set regimen by the CDC, and it seemed like they were you know, flying by the seat of their pants the entire time. It was conflicting, and people lost their lives as a result of that. And so this, and the ADA you mentioned as well, you know, in, in days gone old, if, if you did a, a Americans Disabilities Act violation, you were subject to what, a 35000 or $70,000 fine potentially. What happened to ADA during COVID? You know, suddenly <laughs> your, your medical freedom was gone. You, you had to tell your, your uh, you know, your jab status, your, your vaccine status, if you had the COVID shot or not. I'm like, what the heck happened here? And that was all as a result of the politicization of, of uh, our medicine uh, you know, on the other side here, you know, and I'm not a Johnny come lately here. I mean, I'm going to answer your question straight up here. I'm always of the view that, you know, independent businesses. Now, I'm not talking about hospitals because they have a Hippocratic oath. I don't know what happened with that in some of these organizations here where, you know, do no harm. I mean, and it, it seemed like that oath was forgotten in many cases where I had to intervene in, in many situations with constituents uh, and, and citizens across the state when they were being denied treatment or even being denied having a loved one in the room with them. Uh, as they were passing away. Um, but independent businesses, they, they should have the, the call on whether they, you know, how, say we go through another crisis here, you know, pick a crisis as far as a medical situation. I would not be surprised if there's another one since it works so well for the Democrats in 2020. At my view, back in the, the early days of the shutdown, when we didn't know what to expect was that we should inform the citizens of Pennsylvania, what the threats were, what the what the potential uh, safety conditions, we, you know, were being recommended, and they they decide, you know, how they what they would implement and how they would enforce that. If a if a store, you know, wanted to implement a mask mandate, I I believe that would have been up to them, and you could just take your business elsewhere. But as far as the hospitals doing that and denying people uh, treatment because they can't have a face covering or don't want a face covering, uh, that's not acceptable to me, and, and it's the a bit disconcerting that Florida is the only state that really you know took that issue on. Now, what about other basic human rights, constitutional rights? Again, we never thought we would have to game this out in the past, but there is a doctrine yeah. of least magistrate, right? Where when you have the federal government that is openly violating the Constitution, not just doing inane things, uh, unwise things, uh, policy-wise, they're they're dumb and harmful, but downright criminalizing our existence like they did with COVID. And then with January 6th, that catalyzed a pretext to basically criminalize our beliefs, that you're not allowed to believe, you know, forget about what the election was or wasn't. Everyone has the right to say, you have the right to say the election was stolen, just like BLM has the right to say, um, I hate cops and let's abolish the police. They don't have the right to riot and loot and commit crimes, but you you could hold that view and that's not criminal and make you subject of an investigation that you have to turn over your phone. And I'm going to ask you an uncomfortable question, but it's something we have to start thinking about. What do you do when you now have an FBI and an IRS that are literally targeting people, grabbing them illegal search and seizure when there's no even assertion that they committed a legitimate crime? Yeah. So in your state, you have Congressman Scott Perry, 
the head of the Freedom Caucus, he is nabbed in Pennsylvania and they grab his phone basically because he's a member of Congress advocating one side of the debate of the power of the VP presiding over the count, right? I mean, and that's somehow now criminal. And because some people acted inappropriately um, with or without the help of the FBI on that day in support of that side of the debate, you now for espousing that you are under investigation. Do you believe it is the responsibility of a governor to work with the legislature to try to interpose against that tyranny, whether it's um, you know making requirements for federal agents to register, um, some degree of transparency. I know the CFO of Florida has talked about some of these ideas with the IRS um, because they're coming for us, and 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 we you know who who is standing for us. And uh, you know I've been on the receiving end of, of their persecution of <laughs> political enemies. You know, I, I received uh, the subpoena many months ago, and uh, you know, and, you know, like most conservatives, you know, we're, we got nothing to hide, so I provided records, and then they wanted to go further with the compelled testimony. And so, my wife was asking me a few days ago on the campaign trail, you know, you know, why isn't anyone suing Nancy Pelosi because she's getting away with all this stuff? And I'm like, uh, let me check into it, and come to find out that my lawsuit against the the, the, the congressional committee, you know persecuting their, their political adversaries. I'm actually suing Nancy Pelosi. So step one, of course, is private citizens like me, you know, when there's overstepping, you take it to court. And uh, I do believe we're going to win. Uh, what that means uh, when we win is that that means this committee is, is in violation of House rules and they can't compel testimony. And that, that defangs them. If we lose, that's a win, too, because that means Republicans, uh, when you win the House, you need to exercise that same kind of oversight, because I heard even more vitriol from the other side in 2016. And, you know, Russian collusion, the election was stolen, you know, Hillary Clinton, uh, I don't think she ever conceded. Uh, Kamala Harris and her comments sound very radical and extreme. Uh, And then on top of that, during the summer of love, you know, Kamala Harris and many other leading Democrats bailing out criminals that were burning down towns and killing people. And so, uh, you know, this double standard is very troubling. Okay, number two. I actually have a bill in the Senate where that that would forbid... um, state enforcement agencies from working with federal agencies in, in any um, federal government overreach reference to Second Amendment. So meaning, you know, say Joe Biden issues an executive order infringing upon people's right to keep and bear arms, my state agencies would be prohibited by law from cooperating with them. You know, some of the initiatives coming out of Florida sound like they might work, but that's where we have the clash because we're a, we're a constitutional republic and the states are supposed to have the preponderance of power. But in these days of, of a growing federal bureaucracy, we've seen that state power diminish significantly. And so, you know, ha- what happens when you have federal agents in a state, you know, enforcing federal codes and what have you? I mean, Florida's answer, I don't think is complete. I, I haven't seen anything better yet. But, you know, one area we, we could step in, of course, is once again, where state officials don't cooperate with any unconstitutional enforcement of federal edicts. I know this is unfair just in the final few minutes to drop this in because, uh, you know, we need a full hour on this. So we're not going to rehash your kind of summation of what did go wrong in Pennsylvania during the 2016 election. But looking forward, at least kind of just a couple minute bullet points. What is your plan, if you could describe to people on what you think should be adopted in other states to make Election Day great again? Meaning there's no election season multiple days mail-in ballots here and there coming everywhere 
Um, how are you going to make our elections secure? And and particularly, you have a very activist um, state court there. What do you think you yeah. can do to kind of finesse, given the the trouble you've had with the Supreme Court there seeming to like ballots wherever they come from? Yeah, and, and that's problematic. So, you know, we have our Commonwealth Court, which is, you know, leans conservative, and our Supreme Court in Pennsylvania that's, you know, five to two Democrats and very activist. I think, you know, there's a lot of issues. I'm going to hit it pretty fast and hard here. You know, it starts with voter ID. And uh, there was a voting ID uh, initiative that passed through the House and Senate back in 2011, I think it was, and it was struck down by the state Supreme Court, even then when there was a couple more conservatives. And so our approach now is a, a constitutional amendment, which will leave it before the people, I do believe. And we've begun the process. It has to run through two sessions. It ran through the last session and then uh, in January for the next session, and then it'll go on the ballot for the people to decide. And that, that's a Democrat element within our constitutional public where the people will vote on a, a law for voter ID. Um, it's interesting to me because my opponent, the, the failed attorney general of the state here, where crime has gone up 37 percent and we're leading in homicides and fentanyl deaths. It's disgusting what's happening from a law and order perspective. But he, uh, you know, he wants to label, you know, conservatives as a danger to democracy. And it's, the irony is our attorney general and governor is actually suing against the House and Senate to, to remove that ballot initiative. They don't he doesn't want the people to decide on voting ID. That's number one. Uh, number two is you got to get rid of all outside money. And we, we know, you know, as a Zuck bucks, as it was called, but there was a lot more sources than just Zuckerberg uh, and having outside money dumping into Democrat counties, largely in Pennsylvania. And it really became a get out the vote initiative in 2020. That's a fact. That's what paid for operatives to get out the vote in, in Philadelphia and elsewhere. And that's what paid for drop boxes. And that's what paid for proactively sending out, you know, uh, mail-in ballots without people even asking for them. And so that's where you start. You know, and obviously machines is another issue. There's always a, a risk when you automate things for things being compromised. I start off uh, my Army career back in the 80s as electronic warfare officer. And, uh, you know, anything electronic can be manipulated, especially these days. And then, of course, the election season is problematic as well. I mean, why can't we have an election day? I mean, why does this thing drag out for weeks on then? You're just asking for trouble. And then finally, you know, election day operations have to be tight. We, we can't have results like we saw in New Jersey last year, you know, and, and it looked like the Republicans are going to win. You know, and sadly, m most of these outside Republican uh, groups just wrote New Jersey off. I wish they would have invested in, in his campaign. A million or two dollars would have helped him. But then he's winning. And then a few days after the election, magically, they find, what, 18,000 ballots, mostly Democrat, in Bergen County, Jersey. Are you kidding me? That kind of stuff needs to end. Yep. I mean, it's, it's just uh, it seems to be high tech is used for a lot of different things. And uh, sometimes low tech is is better. Um, yeah. Just what's the state of play in your campaign? Where can people find your campaign and are you getting more support or are you still, still persona non grata in the Republican Party? Uh, so go to DougForGov.com. That's DougNumber4Gov.com. It's pretty easy. Um, um, people across the nation are donating to my campaign. You know, Ron DeSantis helped us out with, with uh, fundraising when he came up. And, of course, uh, 45 when he came up last Saturday. Uh, we've seen people from across the nation. Uh, why should people in Florida or California or Oregon or Alaska you know, contribute to you know, Doug for Gov campaign in Pennsylvania? Because we are the keystone state. And, you know, we hold the key to the future of this nation. Our nation was born in Pennsylvania. So historically, it's valuable. But realistically, from an economic 
geopolitical perspective, it's imperative that we get a Doug Mastriano governor in Pennsylvania because I can help lift, lift us out of this hole we're in from an uh, energy perspective. You know, the Germans were so proud when they decided to give $2 billion to Ukraine. You know, they bragged about that. Uh, what they don't want to tell you, though, is they're giving Vladimir Putin $2 billion every month for uh, <laughs> Russian oil. And, you know, and when Donald Trump warned the Germans about that in 2018 in the U.N., they snickered and laughed at him. You know, who's laughing now? The Germans are being told to be prepared not to take any more hot, hot showers this year. I mean, are you kidding me? So Pennsylvania holds the key. You know, I, I worked a lot in the Baltic nations, Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania as a colonel in the army. And we can help our allies, you know, become completely energy independent regarding Russia. You know, Russia is a single commodity country, basically, with oil and gas. And so we can bring stability to, to the world. We can bring prosperity back to our nation. And so that's why it's critical we get Doug Mastriano for governor. Under my opponent, He's a radical far left uh, winger. He's going to shut down our energy sector here, and it's going to be you know misery. It'll be he's already m- mimicking some of the talking points of Newsom with electric cars and ending you know gas powered engines and what have you. So we we can't afford to have him in Pennsylvania because that will affect the rest of the nation. Well, again, Doug for Gov. And I absolutely agree that this is much more important than most of the races we talk about. Um, Governor is much more important than anything else, not just for the state, but you see how much one governor has deterred the entire federal government. Imagine if you have one or two more and hopefully more than that. So certainly, uh, I don't know why this is not the focus, but the fact that most Republicans don't like you is why I think most people here do. Um, we wish you a lot of luck and look forward to you coming back and keeping us updated. Yeah, my opponent's already spent $10 million, and uh, the Barris poll on Saturday has us tied. I mean, it's incredible. We're going to win. And, you know, it's, when we see these polls, oftentimes they're oversampling, you know, Democrats. We're going to have, obviously, more Republicans showing up in the fall, as we saw during the primary. So take heart. We're going to win, but we need help getting across the line. So do your part to get us across that line. Thanks, brother. Perfect. Take care. God bless. So again, Doug Mastriano, Colonel, State Senator, and hopefully Governor. It's just interesting just listening to him, by the way. You would think he is the biggest fool in the history of the world, the way the Republican establishment talks about him. It's like, we're not even focusing on that. They just threw it away. I mean, the guy was was a retired colonel in the military for 30 years. He has a PhD in in history, four masters. He's a very smart person, deep understanding of the world. And it's just, it's just bizarre. But um, again, for the very reasons why they hate him is why this really, really matters. Having someone like that in the heart of the Northeast part of the country, one of the most critical states, both politically, um, historically, energy-wise, um, again, this this is it. It's 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 Mastriano and and Carrie Lake. I mean, those are the only two I know that are receptive to our message. Where we will be able to work with, we'll be able to say, hey, let's get together and do this. Let's let's interpose against the federal government. Anyone else, they're just going to be in bed with big business. I mean, um, he's irrevocably hated by them. So if he wins, I mean, it's going to be truly remarkable. Um, Let me know your comments, questions, and concerns for our candidates. We'll have Carrie Lake on tomorrow. Till then, God bless y'all, and thank you for listening.